Well, hello, my knitting friends, and welcome to another episode of Little Cabin Knits. I'm your host, Emily, and this is episode 11, Process versus Project Knitting Personalities. This week's episode contains administration, spotlight, raise a cuppa, on the shelf, on the couch, personal skill set, a time for Huga, and contemplation corner. So grab a cuppa of your choice, settle in with a good book, well, not a good book because you're going to be listening, (laughs) but you're knitting or going for a walk or doing your chores and let's get knitting. administration. Welcome my friends. As I said, my name is Emily and you can find me on Instagram and Ravelry as Anders Mill Knits. You can find Little Cabin Knits on all the major podcatchers and I also have a YouTube channel called Between Knits and Pearls and this last weekend I recorded all by my lonesome as my co-host was engaged, wonderfully engaged, in the festivities of Easter weekend. And unfortunately, the person that we were going to uh, interview, a good knitting friend of mine, came down ill and so had to cancel at the last minute. So I had a little bit of a rambling episode, but I mishmashed it together (laughs) as best I could, and it's out there for your knitting pleasure. I really kind of talked more about none of my knitting, but I talked about the next part of our Plan Knit Cal, that's K-A-L, that we're doing, which is a year-long sort of knit-along, more of an organization-along, in which we dis- we try and really kind of conquer our crafting adventures and organize ourselves. So the last three months were focused on organizing our stash, And the next three months are organizing our patterns. And this can be of any craft you like, but just we're just focused on organizations and and kind of more of an awareness and taking control back of our crafts. Lastly, you might have noticed the addition of one segment called Spotlight and the change in title to another. So I wanted to change the segment on a positive note to something that more represented what the segment was all about. So it's been renamed to Contemplation Corner. I hope you guys enjoy and settle in. Thank you. Spotlight. This week I'd like to hold the spotlight on a relatively new podcast. It's called Get Knit Done by Michelle Gregory of the Knit School out of Ireland, I believe. And Michelle has been hosting a knitting academy for a few years now, and she's gearing up for another session. This podcast is absolutely wonderful. It's nice and short. I think the longest is only about 35 minutes long, and that was her last one. In the podcast, Michelle aims at discussing different techniques and schools of thought in knitting. I really enjoyed her two episodes on socks and their anatomy. Michelle's voice is welcoming and she calls us lovelies throughout the show, which makes me want to just give her a nice big hug. 
If you're looking for a quick 15-minute podcast that takes more talks more about the techniques of knitting rather than the traditional what's-on-my-needles format, I think this is a really good option for you. Raise a cuppa. Well, I have settled in. It's late afternoon, and I've settled in with my beloved Diet Mountain Dew. It's in my nice cup that keeps things cool for, like, I don't know, maybe even 24 hours. I don't know. But I never have something in there long enough to find out. But it keeps things very cool, and I do love a cold brew. It's great, a cold drink. Recently, I was at the grocery store because we bought ourselves an iced tea maker and we didn't have anything to make it in so I bought the store brand well maybe it wasn't store brand um iced tea that we're going to try out because we've never done it before but while I was in the tea section and I never go in the tea section because I'm just not a hot drink sipper um but I did find a cold herbal tea blend so it's a cold infusion blend of I think it was strawberries hibiscus and I think it was cranberries or was it raspberries I'll have to take a look but it just got me super excited I haven't tried it yet but I have plans on Wednesday when I am in some really long meetings to settle in with a good cold brew and really enjoy it for the first time This last week, I had Good Friday off as a paid holiday, which was a new and novel experience to me. I have never had that off before. I've never been in an organization where they've had that holiday. And so I've been in plenty of organizations that have like Native American or Native Alaskan holidays off and bank holidays, but never a like maybe what we would more call a religious holiday off. And so that was... That was interesting, but I wasn't going to argue about having a paid day off, that's for sure. I really enjoyed my day. I went to the gym, and then I settled in for a long knit as I caught up on my YouTube shows. I think this last weekend, I knit over 30 hours. (laughs) My arms hurt, but as you will see in my On the Shelf segment, it was very fruitful. And Easter Sunday was a quiet day at home. I listened to the LDS General Conference on YouTube in the morning as I knit. And throughout the day, I just took my time making Easter dinner with the help of Jeremy, of course. Uh, We had meant to play our favorite game of dominoes, but the day, well, though the day was lazy, it just seemed to fly by really fast. And before we knew it, it was time for him to join his weekly Sunday night online gaming with his friends and brother. I never interrupt that time, as we all need that connection with our friends and loved ones, don't we? Well, especially now. So, no dominoes, um, which is probably a good thing for Jeremy, because I like to trounce him good in that. Instead, I snuggled in to watch Wartime Farm on Amazon Prime, and I just continued to knit on. On the Shelf 
I have a major on-the-shelf moment here, my friends. My Marshland sweater by Tin Can Knits that I am knitting for Jeremy for our engagement pictures that are going to be taken on May 1st, as well as for our wedding reception, is done! It's done! Ah, I'm so happy! Now, this was a major undertaking, and I wanted to knit it very quickly. I had a six-week turnaround, and I am, at this moment, at least two weeks ahead of schedule. Um, I had the six weeks to knit his sweater as well as mine. And Jeremy is currently a 3X. Um, he has been gaining a little bit of weight during our COVID isolation, but you know what? I love him and I just don't care. I think he looks marvelous. And I knit the size 3X and it is a monstrosity, I will tell you. Um, no wonder my arms hurt. I did not honestly realize just how big this thing was until I cast off uh, the bottom ribbing. And then I laid it all out and I was like, oh my gosh, that is big. And I worried for a minute there that it was going to be too big for him. When he tried it on, which I made him do as soon as I cast off, um, it was a little bit snug. And so I was like, no worries, as soon as I block it, all those stitches will relax and you'll be able to wear this pleasantly. And so that's what I did that last night, it was Sunday night. I settled in, like I said, with Wartime Farm on, nit on not nitpicks, <laughs> on Amazon Prime, and I wove in my ends, which was a lot. And then I put it into soak, and then I pinned it out before we went to bed. Now, I just want to talk for just a minute about how I wove in all my ends. Because with Fair Isle knitting, or intarsia knitting, or any color changing, like striping and stuff, more than likely, or color blocking, more than likely, you're going to have quite a lot of ends to weave in. So last night, I just did this method for myself. So I knew what things had been, what ends had been woven in, and what hadn't. I laid all of my ends, I started on one side of the sweater only, and I laid all of my ends on that side of the sweater facing upwards, away from me. And then I systematically just went through and wove in the ends. And when I was done with weaving in that, that one strand, I would then lay the strand towards me or downwards. And in that fashion, I was able to tell, well, did I weave that in? No? Oh, it's not going downward, so I need to weave that one in. And it worked a peach, let me tell you. It was really great. And with all the weaving I had to do, I don't know, there was at least 30 ends, I believe. Probably more, I haven't counted. But with between the body of the sweater and the sleeves and the armpits and everything, or the underarms as we tend to call it, you know, I just, there was a lot to weave in, so... It was a really a wise decision on my part. Now, the yarn I used for this was Knit Picks Provincial Tweed in the Worsted Weight. The main color was gray, and the contrasting colors were Frozen Pond, Caramel, Black, and Salsa Verde. I knit these on US size 7 for the body and 6 for going down a needle size for all of the ribbing except the body. I actually went down to US 5 for the ribbon ribbing on the um, 
ribbing at the bottom of the the sweater because I just felt like that needed to be tightened up just a little bit more so it would sit more snugly against his frame and I just really like the results I'm really happy with how everything went and if you would like to see the finished results I have that well I will be having that updated on my Ravelry page but also pretty soon I'll be um, video chatting with my good friend Stephanie, my counterpart for Between Knits and Pearls. Uh, she is called Farmstead Knits on Instagram and Ravelry. And we are going to be catching up on our works in progress soon, probably this week, honestly. So be looking forward to that if you want to see it in real life. on the couch. Well, let's talk about my wedding sweater, shall we? So I have been knitting on the Starfall pattern by Jennifer Steingass, and I am very pleased that of the progress I've made. I have knit the body of the sweater, I've knit the sleeves, I've joined the sleeves, and now I am on to the yoke of the sweater. I am guessing that I probably have another five hours of knitting or so, before, and then I'll be done with my wedding sweater, so I'm very excited. You, The joining of the sleeves was a new experience for me, as I have never joined sleeves from the going from the bottom up, and when I was at that point in my knitting, it was about bedtime and I just couldn't seem to wrap my mind or my head around the technique. I was just like, this is never gonna work. Uh, you're telling me that I just knit the sleeves on as if they were part of the body? That's never gonna work. That's, no, uh-uh. And so I put it aside and I was like, okay, I'll just come back to it tomorrow after work. Then the next morning I went to the gym and while I was on the Oh my goodness, I never remember what that's called. The elliptical, that's what it's called. All of a sudden, it came to me. They were completely right. You just, it's a very simple technique. And so when I got home, even before I took a shower or anything, I just, in my sweaty clothes and everything, I just sat down on the couch. I picked up my sweater, reread the instructions, and I just had this light bulb go off. And I furiously, well, not furiously, but energetically uh, put uh, knit on and got my sleeves on joined onto my the body of my sweater. And I was so excited that I kind of forgot about the time and was a little late for work, but it was okay in the end. <laughs> but I'm just so excited about this. So I'm knitting this with Knit Pick City Tweed DK. There's a theme going on here. Not only am I knitting the sweaters out of Knit Picks yarn, but I'm knitting them in tweed because I'd like them to be a little matchy-matchy. And I'm knitting these on US size five and six needles. Now the main color is kelp and the contrasting colors are Harbor Seal, Artichoke, and Primrose. And I am just so excited to have this done and wear it. It's still a bit warm. Well, not warm. I'm sorry. It's still a bit cold here. We had a big windstorm this last weekend that brought in a lot of warm weather. But by the end of this week, it's going to be down to 7 and even 2 degrees. And so I still have some time to wear my sweater before it's too warm. And let's just be honest. 
up here in Alaska, even in the summertime, I can still wear this bad boy, especially when we're hiking or camping out because it gets pretty cold during the night. Lastly, I am still working on my test knit for Alexandria Wagner or Wii U Knits. And I still don't know how to say this, but it is the Adulius top, A-E-G-O-L-I-O-U-S. And this is a sleeveless top for the summer, knit out of fingering weight Mad Tosh light in the copper pink colorway. And I am knitting this on US size four. And I am well into the body of the sweater. I think I've got, let's see, I'm, I'm right now I'm doing the waist decreases and I'm on the last repeat for the waist decreases. And then I knit a little bit before I do my waist, no, my bust increases. So I'm really excited about this. And the pattern is very well uh, written and um, Alex has been very present in any questions that I've had because you know my brain sometimes when I read things I just don't immediately get it and so she's been right there very prompt in answering any questions that I have and I'm just so excited for this to be out for you guys all to enjoy and so that is what is on the couch personal skill set Let's talk personalities. In the world of knitting, there is a constant debate over which style of knitter you are, or more like what type of knitter personality you possess. Are you a process knitter that enjoys the challenge and engagement of a pattern or project? Or are you a product knitter that enjoys the idea of the finished project, project and so quote unquote suffers through the process of knitting the pattern or project so that you may have the, the joy of the finished object. Now this concept is rather an extension of a pop culture psychology movement that's happened over the last 50 to 75 years in order to pigeonhole an individual into a type of personality or other. The belief is that if we know what type of personality you are, then it should follow that we know what type of relationships you will have, your process processing of ideas or, or the, your brain patterns you possess, your ability to perform a, a job in the workplace, or even if you would be a good fit for a certain organization or not. Now, uh, you may have noticed that I use the term quote-unquote pop psychology. Now this is because in psychology and counseling we never use these personality tests on our clients. Why? Well, because we know that a person cannot be pigeonholed into one personality type or another. Now I want to note here that a diagnosis is different than a personality type or pigeonholing. If you have a diagnosis of the flu or the cold, for example, you know you can heal from that and move forward in your life. You'll, your body will heal and you'll feel better eventually. The same is true of, of a psychology diagnosis or mental health diagnosis. Just because you were diagnosed with depression in your youth does not then automatically mean that you have depression 20 years later. So another note within this, 
that there are some diagnoses that present a lifelong healing journey, but these are still a diagnosis and not pigeonholing you as a whole, like most personality types tests do. During my master's to become a counselor, we even studied some of these that we used to rely on in psychology even 20 years ago, like the Rorschach test or the inkblot test, as it is well known. But this test was debunked or discredited in the psychology community as the results were seen as weak or even non-existent, as it listed more than half the people that took the tests as having distorted thinking, which is obviously not true. So we no longer use this test in psychology. Now let's roll the time, time wand back, or let's travel back in time, if you will. As a teenager, I remember being enthralled with these personality tests. My mother and I took the color code test when I was a teenager, and I was very, very disappointed to learn that I was marked down as a red personality type, while my mother was a white Okay, what does that mean exactly? Well, according to the book, and yes, we bought the actual book on the subject, red meant that you needed to look good, be right, and be respected. And there are also leaders and love challenges. Whites, on the other hand, need to be accepted and treated with kindness. They are logical, objective, and tolerant of others. Now, I'm going to admit, I was dismayed at the time, and a little bit, it's kind of a petty reason for the most part, because I have always abhorred the color red, and on top of that, I hated the idea that I needed to look good to others. In other words, always worrying what others thought of me. My mother, on the other hand, seemed to align perfectly with the white personality type. She's always preferred peace and harmony and longed for us to stop our squabbling, squabbling and get, just get along with each other. Similarly, we knew that mother was always to be treated with kindness, not least of which because our father would have boxed our ears if we said a mean word to her, but also just because we've always viewed her as our angel mother. Then later on in college... Now, this is for my undergraduate. It was the in thing to take the Myers-Briggs personality test and see what type of person you were. I don't remember what I was then. I hardly even know what I am now because it's so confusing to me. But I was curious to see what they thought of me today, so I took the test again and discovered that I'm a cross between an ENJA and an ENJT personality type. So this meant that I was extroverted, intuitive, judging, and a thinking individual that is a mix of assertive and turbulent personality, or protagonist as they called it. <sighs> well, that's a lot to take in. And yes, I am now judging myself. So here's what the Myers-Briggs people had to, to, to say to describe me. Everything you do right now ripples outward and affects everyone. Your posture can shine your heart or transmit anxiety. 
Your breath can radiate love or muddy the room in depression. Your glance can awaken joy. Your words can inspire freedom. Your every act can open hearts and minds. Okay, just right there. Like, I'm just a little overwhelmed with how verbose they're being and how, like, like really ingratiating they're trying to be with this uh, personality type. It kind of makes me a little ill. <laughs> now it goes on to say, Protagonists are natural-born leaders full of passion and charisma. Forming around 2% of the population, they are oftentimes our politicians, our coaches, our teachers, reaching out and inspiring others to achieve and to do good in the world. With a natural confidence that begets influence, protagonists take a great deal of pride and joy in guiding others to work together to improve themselves and their community. Now, it went on and on for quite a few pages, and I have um, actually uh, read the, put down the difference in protagonist types. I've put a link into my blog post that you can find on my website, which if I can remember it correctly is andersmillknits.wix.com forward slash website. I think I got that right. I hope I did. It'll be in the show notes just in case. So when it was done, I stepped back and I thought, well, in a way they're pretty spot on there. I am a leader. I'm not saying they were spot on about how verbose and gregarious and ingratiating they were being the first part, but I do tend to take on leader roles, but I try not to push my ideas. So I see myself more as a coach and even a teacher than a leader. Plus, I'm more than happy to take the back seat and let another person lead. Well, (laughs) unless they're making a muck of things, that is. So I got to thinking, could they be on to something here? Oh my. Well, I was curious, so I researched, researched out a number of other personality tests and took as many as I could. And I've linked all the tests I mentioned in my blog post if you'd like to have a go at them. They'll be at the very end. Now, please note that I am not accrediting or backing any of these tests, even the ones that claim they have a team of psychologists behind them. If you take any of these, take them with a grain of salt and at your own discretion, okay? So some of these tests include that I took anyway included the DISC or the DISC assessment. Now this is widely used in professional settings. And my scores were as follows. Influence, 40%. Dominance, 29%. Steadiness, 26%. And compliance, 5%. They rate me as socially or... Let's try that again, shall we? They rated me as a socially oriented person, stating that You have a strong self-motivation to get to know people in all walks of life and to nurture those relationships. You have a natural enthusiasm for all types of ideas and projects, your own and other people's. People are likely to describe you as gregarious, persuasive, and optimistic. Uh, Okay, so first off, I had a problem with that I do love 
getting to know other people in all walks of life, but I have a really difficult time keeping up on my relationships. Um, I can't even tell you how many times my best friends say, well, I thought I'd better call you because you keep forgetting to. (laughs) And it's not because I don't love them and because I don't think of them. I just really hate talking on the phone. And in this day and age, it's either Zoom, which I'm on for most of the day in my work life, Or it's talking on the phone or emailing, and I am just exhausted from those modes of communication. And I just, honestly, it's it's really difficult for me to do in my personal life. But if I'm honest, uh, well, also, I didn't really feel like they described me well outside of being enthusiastic of ideas and being gregarious. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty well known for being gregarious. Well, so I tried another. The next one I tried was the Who Am I test. Now this test measures 15 personality traits such as self-control, resilience, conscientiousness, and sociability. Now this was a pretty long test compared to the others and also they had a crap ton of marketing questions that started to annoy me by the end but I was in it and I was dang well gonna finish it so I continued. And here is what they had to say about my personality. According to the Who Am I test, my openness is 93%, my conscientiousness is 31%, extroversion 99%, agreeableness 97%, neuroticism 54%. They then stated the following. Your outlook is emotional, meaning that you embrace positive and negative emotions fully. Your character is thoughtful, in that you have a very giving and sympathetic character and are genuinely interested in and concerned about others. Your self-control is reserved, in that you may feel a bit conflicted when you've been wronged. Your self-composure is direct, and you may find it hard to resist impulses. Your taste is pioneer, and that you are interested in the new and different. Sociably, you're a leader, and enjoy social situations. In action, you are spontaneous and full of energy. In attitude, you're progressive, and that you tend to have a great deal of faith in human nature and believe in education. In processes, you are a dreamer, in that you get very excited by a new prospect and new ideas and seeing the world. Resilience, you're sensitive in that you are extremely aware of potential dangers and problems around you, perhaps a little too aware sometimes. Now, I'll be honest, I found this test fun because the way you take the test is to click on the pictures instead of actually answering questions, but in the end, I the results had me rolling my eyes. Although I do see a trend here that I am a leader, and um, I think there, I don't think this one said I was extroverted. It's interesting because the next one goes against all this. So there were a lot of personality tests I took. I mean, a lot, guys. And I've listed all of them, like I said, in my blog post if you'd like to try them for yourself. However, the last one I took, I was really excited for. It is the test color. Literally, that's the name. Remember the one that I took with my mother all those years ago? 
Well, I thought I had the opportunity to take it again. Like I said, I thought. And I just couldn't resist. Um, but this was nothing like I remembered it. Essentially, it was rating your color preferences in order from most liked to least liked and vice versa. So I'm not at all sure it's actually the color code from my youth. However, from that, they gave me the following results. I am innovative. These are my dominant personalities, by the way. I'm innovative, creative, well thought, intellectual, and let's see, what was that one? Oh, an organizer. And so those were my dominant ones. Now, it went on to say that I am 41% extrovert and 59% introvert, which is the exact opposite of the test I had just taken before from the, oh, what was that one called? The Who Am I test, where it said I was 99%, oh no, the DISC test, where it said I was 99% an extrovert. So there you go already. Things are in, in conflict with each other. But they said... You are creative, you always have new ideas, and your inspiration comes from inside. You are also able to listen to others, you show good emotional intelligence, you know how to bring your support to others. You are charismatic and good in communication, and you know how to attract and manage people. So in a lot of ways it was kind of echoing just in different phrasing what the other ones had said. But okay, okay. Let's backtrack out of this rabbit hole of mine. My whole point of this was just to discuss the various outlooks in knitting styles, not to go down the rabbit hole necessarily of personality types, but it leads back into the idea of project versus prod process knitter. For me personally, I think I'm more of a project knitter. Why? because I am a reward-driven individual. I don't need a personality test to figure that part out. I already know that. I know that I am driven by reward of having accomplished something or gaining something beautiful for my space. So I use this to advantage in my knitting. Every, for example, every time I record a podcast or an episode, I feel such a sense of accomplishment. It's so wonderful regardless of whether anybody listens to it or not. But remember last time when we talked about dream knitting and how I daydream of Jeremy and I at our wedding in hand-knit sweaters? Well, that image is a reward and was enough of a drive for me to pick up the needles to knit two adult sweaters in less than six weeks. And I'm still on that road. But does that automatically follow that I'm a process knitter? I don't think so. I love the adventure and challenge a new knit brings. Learning new techniques, styles, and methods. I thrive on learning and discovering. So one could argue that I'm a process knitter as well. I guess I just don't fit into either label. Labeling ourselves and others is a safe way to interact with the world. If we can label a person as safe or dangerous, then we know how to proceed. Let's take an example. Let's say that you have two paths in front of you. One is a dark and narrow side street that is hard to look down. The second 
is a bright and sunny square with tables out and umbrellas to protect the laughing and engaged people gathered around the many tables. Which one would you judge as being safe to enter into? The dark and narrow street or the bright and sunny square? Your judgment of this is another word for labeling. But in that judgment lies safety, doesn't it? The dark and narrow street could hold people who will jump you and steal your money. Or it could hold an out-of-the-way yarn shop that's just bursting with fibery goodness that you would treasure. Likewise, the sunny square could hold lots of joyful people thriving in the sunshine and in each other's company. But on closer inspection, you see that many of those at the tables are leaning forward in intense discussions with tension in every fiber of their being. And the laughter hides a strained look that makes you tense up in some unknown worry. So what does one do? Do we traverse the unknown and take what comes, or do we rely on our judgment and labels to hold us safe? For that, you need to look within yourself. I don't have the answer for you. But I guess what I'm trying to get out in, the, in this is there needs to be less labeling and more enjoying and claiming our craft and motivation in whatever form that takes. Know yourself. Don't rely on tests to determine who you are and what you are good at. Pay attention to what motivates you, excites you, what you fear and dread. You are the master of yourself. You just need to be aware of it. A time for Hugo. Let's look at awareness a bit closer, shall we? I see the act of Hugo as awareness and even a meditative or mindful state of being. In Hugo, they don't just say, eat whatever you want, for tomorrow we die. No, um, they encourage you to enjoy the eating process, how the food feels on your tongue as you bite down and as you swallow, how it feels in your stomach. Whether the food is a carrot or a pastry, the act of enjoyment and awareness in Hugo is the same. When the Danes promote lighting candles and snuggling in with a good book under a warm and snuggly blanket, they are again advocating for awareness and stillness or mindfulness. Slow down. Take stock of yourself. Let your body and your mind rest as you engage in a frivolous, or deeply provocative book. Allow yourself to become immersed in the process. So today I invite you to partake in a mindfulness exercise around eating. After all, if we're not mindful of what we eat, how do we know our likes and dislikes and how our bodies react to certain foods? Following is the exercise. It's a meditation taken from an article in the Huffington Post, which I've also linked in my blog post. (music) 
sit down at a table, preferably alone and free from any external distractions. Don't worry too much if there are sounds that are out of your control. You can build these into the exercise. Before you even pick up the food to eat, take a couple of deep breaths, in through the nose and out through the mouth, to allow the body and mind to settle. Next, take a moment to appreciate the food. Where has it come from? What country? Was it grown or was it manufactured? Try to imagine the different ingredients in their natural growing environment and even the types of people who would have been looking after the crops or animals. As you're doing this, notice if there is any sense of impatience in the mind, of wanting to get on and eat the food. Perhaps you're thinking of all the things you need to do. Whatever the reaction, it's most likely just conditioned behavior, a habit, but one that you can find surprisingly strong. Regardless of the feelings, take at least a minute to reflect in this way. Next, without going on some kind of guilt trip, Take a moment to appreciate the fact that you actually have food on your plate. We're so familiar with the situation that we forget that for many people in the world, this just isn't the case. A deep sense of appreciation and gratitude is at the heart of any stable mindfulness practice. If it's a food you're going to eat with your hands, notice the texture as you pick it up, the temperature, and perhaps the colors. If you're eating from a plate with a knife and fork, notice instead the texture and temperature of the cutlery as you move it toward the food, but still take the time to notice the colors on the plate. You might find it more effective to hold your fork or spoon in your non-dominant hand. This will prevent you from going too quickly. As you move the food towards your mouth, shift the focus away from the hands and more toward the eyes, nose, and mouth. How does the food smell? What does it look like up close? And as you put it in your mouth, what is the taste, the texture, the temperature? You don't need to do anything. You're simply observing the different bodily sensations at work. In addition to the physical senses, notice how the mind responds to the food. For example, Is the food met with pleasure or displeasure in your mind? Is there acceptance of the food as it is? Or maybe some resistance to certain aspects of it? Perhaps it's too hot, too cold, too sweet, or too sour. Notice how the mind rushes to judge the food 
and to make comparisons with previous meals or other possibilities. Whatever you do, take the time to chew the food fully. Not only is this a healthier way of eating, but it will allow you the time to taste and appreciate all the different flavors. Once you've taken a few mouthfuls, you may find that the mind starts to get bored of the exercise and will wander off into thinking about something else. This is quite normal and nothing to worry about. So in just the same way as before, as soon as you realize it's wandering off, gently bring your attention back to the process of eating and the different tastes, smells, textures, sights, and sounds. As you continue to eat your meal in this way, you can start to notice whether there's a strong habitual urge to eat more quickly, perhaps to move closer to dessert, or maybe there are feelings of unease about what you're eating. If it's an especially big meal, you may even notice the desire to consume gradually decreasing as the stomach becomes full and you become more aware of these sensations. As much as possible, simply observe these different thoughts and feelings, acting on them when appropriate. And, if you can, notice how the breath appears. The breath may give you some indication of how comfortable or uncomfortable the process of eating is for you. Before jumping up to get on with the next thing you have planned, try staying seated for a moment or two. This is an opportunity for you to take that sense of being present to the next part of your day. It's an opportunity to realize that the thoughts feelings, and physical sensations that were present before eating have now moved on. In time, this awareness of change can help the mind to feel more spacious and at ease. Contemplation Corner Every human has four endowments, self-awareness, conscience, independent will, and creative imagination. These give us the ultimate human freedom, the power to choose, to respond, to change. Stephen Covey my friends our time together has come to a close i thank you for joining me today as we explored the idea of personality types both in our regular lives and in our knitting journeys i hope you enjoyed my enthusiasm over finishing my marshland sweater and i really hope to see you the next time around 
Take care, my friends, and remember to knit what you love and love what you knit. Ta-ta for now. Thank you.